Uh, well, again, good morning. You guys are the few, the proud. You're not Marines. You're just here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so good job. Um, it, is, uh, it is a special weekend. Uh, I just want to recognize um, just those who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country. Uh, we have a lot of freedoms that the Lord has given us, uh, and we want to be grateful for those. And so we just say uh, thank you. And remember those who have served our country. Um, this, uh, this morning, we are starting, like Ryan said, a new series called uh, We Believe. It's called We Believe, uh, and the subtitle would be We are, are, are Learning What It Means to Affirm the Apostles' Creed. We Believe, Affirming the Apostles' Creed. So I'm excited for our church family to start in this series over the summer uh, as we look through and walk through this ancient confession of faith. And what I want to do this morning really is to answer two questions. One, what are we going to do uh, with the creed? And then why are we doing this with the creed? So I want to kind of tackle those two questions together this morning. Um, and so first, I want, to, I want to tackle what is it that we're going to do. So we're going to spend 12 weeks going through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, each week, uh, over the summer, we'll take one statement from the creed and kind of do a, a deep dive on that statement uh, in the creed. So the creed itself will be an outline. So if you, if you look at the creed, that's where we're going over the next 12 weeks. So just with that in mind, I want to read it to us uh, as we begin this morning. So this is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. (laughs) He will come again. This is bad timing, sorry. He will come again to judge, (laughs) but not people whose phones go off in the service. Uh, Judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, I'm curious, how, how many of you have heard that creed before? Just raise your hand if you've heard the Apostles' Creed. All right, keep your hand up if not only you've heard it, but you grew up in a tradition where you said that on a regular basis as a part of your kind of church experience. Okay, that's great. That's really helpful. Um, what's interesting to me is there's a diversity of, of kind of experiences and backgrounds within our church family when it comes to creeds uh, and liturgical worship, maybe more broadly. Um, and so for some of us, this will be totally new. Uh, some of us, are maybe because we're new in the faith or like me, you grew up in a tradition that did not use the creeds or maybe was even anti-creed, if we could say that. Uh, some of us grew up in traditions uh, where we used the creed and we said it every week because you come from a, a tradition with a liturgical uh, kind of background. And so you've been saying it all your life. Uh, I'm also aware that some of us, uh, when we found out we we're doing the creed, we got really excited, right? And then some of us were less than thrilled probably about doing uh, the creed. Or maybe, maybe even you'd be in the boat of being a little bit concerned about doing something like a creed, focusing on that for 12 weeks. And so what I want to do just off the bat is I want to kind of put some of maybe some minds at ease about what we're actually going to do. And so the first thing I would want to just share with you is that we are not going to preach the creed. Uh, we are going to use the creed 
to preach the Bible. And there's a big difference. So we're going to use the creed as a guide. And that's because creeds, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the creed that we often say on Sundays, the Nicene Creed, or if you're familiar with the Athanasian Creed, these creeds, all of them, do not have authority. Right? They don't have spiritual authority in and of themselves. Anything they have is, uh, you might say, is derived. Uh, instead, what they do is they point us to what God has clearly revealed in his word and through his son, Jesus. And it points us to what most faithful Christians have believed in most places and in most times through history. That's what creeds do. They're, they're, they're helpful summaries right, of what the Bible actually teaches. That's what creeds are. I love how Matt Chandler describes the Apostles' Creed. He, he says the creed, um, and, and just keep in mind, he's a Baptist, so I just love this, because as a former Baptist, now Anglican, that a Baptist is, is pro-creed, I'm just down with that. So Matt Chandler says, the creed is to the Bible as the moon is to the sun. Just like the moon has no light of its own, but reflects the light of the sun, so the creed has no power or authority of its own. It merely reflects the light of the word of God. Okay, so that's, I think that's just helpful to, to kind of frame how we're coming at this and how we're using the creed. The second thing I would say is our intent is to use the creed in the same way that faithful followers of Jesus have used the creed for almost 2,000 years. From the beginning, the church faced a dual challenge. On the one hand, affirming the truth, and on the other, confronting error. There was a need to define the truth according to what Jesus had taught and his word, and God's word, and on the other hand, to defend against false teaching and errant teaching. Um, so maybe you know this, but you might be wondering, where did the creed come from? Where did the Apostles' Creed kind of develop? And I think this is pretty amazing how this actually took place. So the creed actually uh, developed uh, within, began to develop, I would say, within a, a few decades even of Jesus' own life. And this is, this is how it happened. As people came to faith around the Roman Empire, uh, they began to gather in communities and, and churches were born. Uh, and you get a picture of this in Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2 says there were people gathering and, and what were they doing? Right? They, were, they were breaking bread together, they were praying together, they were worshiping together, but it says they were devoted to what? The apostles' teaching. That's what Acts 2 says. And so that is being developed all across the Roman Empire. And so more and more people are coming to saving faith in Jesus and individual churches and then groups of churches. What they, they start trying to do is figure out how do we help these new Christians understand the apostles' teaching. And so what they develop are tools like the creeds. They develop their own individual creeds and in churches and then those churches began to work together to, to kind of find creeds that they could all agree on together. And so over time, what happens, and even within 100 to 200 years of Jesus' own lifetime, these churches agree on what these creeds should include as foundational to the Christian faith. And so that by the 4th century, we have what we today call the Apostles' Creed. So one of the things I appreciate about that is it, it, it came from the local church. Right? You see that? It grew up, and God raised it up as a means to help people uh, devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, just to clarify a couple of things. One, the Apostles' Creed is not called the Apostles' Creed because it was written by the apostles. Um, it's so named because it's an attempt to summarize the teaching that was handed down from the apostles. 
Uh, also, the Apostles' Creed does not hold, like I've already kind of said about the power, it doesn't hold some kind of magical kind of incantation power. Sometimes it can feel like that, depending on the tradition you've come from. The, when we say these like magical things or super spiritual things happen, that is not what is meant. Neither is it meant to be a rote tradition or an intellectual exercise or just something that good Anglicans do. Okay? In fact, I, I heard this story once about a, a church that hired a new pastor, and he came in, and he was leading his first Sunday service, and it came time in the service for the creed to be said. And so he, he, he watched as everyone in the service stood up, and they turned around, turned their back to him, and faced the back, and began to say the Apostles' Creed together, facing the back of the room. And he was like, left just scratching his head, what in the world is going on? So after the service, he kind of went to a few people, and was like, why, why is everybody turning around and turning their back to the front of the church to say the creed. And everybody's like, I don't know, we've just always, we've always done it that way. And he finally found an older member of the congregation. And when he found this, this guy, he said, look, he's like, there was a pastor a long time ago who came. He wanted us all to learn the creed. We didn't know the creed. So he bought this banner. And he hung it on the back wall of the room. And he put the creed on it so we could all stand and we could all turn and read it together. Now, at some point, the creed came down, but people kept standing up and turning around. To the point that nobody knew why they were doing what they were doing, which is always the danger. We're not doing this to do it. We're not doing it for any reason that we need to lose sight of. We're doing it because it matters and because it's helpful. And if it's not those things, then we won't do it. Right? So we have to guard against this kind of hollow tradition. But that doesn't mean we just toss the creed. It means we remain committed to using it rightly. So in short... Throughout the 2,000-year history of the church, the creed has been a helpful tool for spiritual formation and growth, and it's a tool I'm convinced we need to recover as a church family and in the broader church, I think, in many quarters. So a couple of resources, just real practical stuff about what we're doing uh, that will help you this summer, encourage you to use uh, one of these. Uh, we've got a couple of options for you. You may have seen them in the lobby on the way in. This is something we're going to start doing with different sermon series. We're going to put books on the table in the lobby, and you can grab copies right there. You can pay using your phone. So I encourage you, or if you want to just make a gift, if you can't afford it, just take a book. But there's books out there, and there's two books out there. One is called Affirming the Apostles' Creed by J.I. Packer. It's a, a little 150-page book. It's got a short chapter on each statement of the faith. I love it because it comes with scripture readings that go with each of the statements from the creed. And then it has about four or five questions, kind of just for you to kind of reflect on. Uh, great resource. The second one is called The Apostles' Creed, Together We Believe. And this is a 12-week study that was put out by the Village Church up in the Dallas area, Matt Chandler. It's got some video teachings that go with it. You can purchase those from Lifeway. Some of them are available for free on YouTube. Um, but I like it because it's really solid content, and it's got a, a, a different format. It's designed for group study or for individual study or for family uh, discipleship. So you can use it in a, in a number of ways. It's got a one-time discussion guide for groups, but it's got daily stuff for individuals and for families. So if you're in a place where, man, I'd love for my kids to kind of know the basics of the Christian faith, this is a great tool, and I encourage you to check it out. So both of those available in the lobby, and you can find links to that on our website as well. So that's the what, uh, but let's consider the more important question, which is why? Why are we using the Apostles' Creed this summer? And I want you to uh, grab a Bible, and I want you to open it to the verses I just read, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and while you're opening to that, I'm going to read it again. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is the line I want you to hear. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Who said that? Jesus. Who did he say it to? His disciples. And who are we? His disciples. Okay. So Jesus says to us, teach them, that's all those who come into faith in Jesus, all Every last thing that you've ever gotten from me, teach them just the things that I've commanded you. The word of God, in other words. So Jesus gives marching orders to the church. That's what's going on here. Go make disciples. That's at the heart of it. That's the heart of the command. Go make disciples. So he breaks it into two parts. First, the first part is this. Move out, right? Go make disciples. Go. Move out. Go live and talk and with people and love them in such a way that that they come to understand and put their faith in me and Jesus Christ and are reborn, baptized, he says, into life in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's part one of the marching orders. Part two is that you would teach them with your words in your life everything that I've commanded you, all the things that Jesus taught. So that's the, that's the two-part attack plan for Jesus when it comes to loving the world and sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news of the gospel and seeing the church built. Teach them, he says, with your words. Teach them with your life, everything that I have commanded you. So in other words, the, the command is help others learn how to follow me. Help others learn how to follow me. So if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we are called not only to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know him, we have to teach those who do know him how to follow him. And that includes what we as Christians believe. We have to pass on what we ourselves have been entrusted. 2 Timothy 2, 2. We we pass on to, to following generations. And that includes something that sometimes makes some of us really uncomfortable or just bored. And it's the D word. Doctrine, okay? Doctrine. Jesus is talking, not completely, but including doctrine here when he says teaching, right? Doctrine. If we're going to be faithful, we have to be those who care about doctrine. Doctrine, what is doctrine? Doctrine is simply understanding who God is and what he has said and done. That's the simplest definition I would give for doctrine. Now, sometimes in the church, there's a resistance to doctrine, there, there's a, a, a resistance to this idea. And in some cases, it's for good reasons. Doctrine can become intellectualized, as James talks about. It can, can be dead faith without works. It's just all thought. Some have rejected ancient creeds, saying uh, all we need is the Bible or all we need is Jesus. I, don't know, I grew up in a tradition that basically said that, which is interesting because no creed but Christ, maybe you've heard that, or no creed but the Bible, which is just funny because that's a creed and it's not in the Bible. <laughs> so the truth is we need doctrine and creeds help us when it comes to doc- doctrine. And I think another thing that happens, sometimes we hear um, doctrine and we think that it must be in contrast to or, uh, the spirit, right? That, that to be spirit-filled and to be focused on doctrine are in, in tension with each other and somehow. And the truth is they're not. 
They're not. They actually work together, and you can't, you can't actually pull them apart. Jesus, for example, was the most spirit-filled person who ever lived, and he was absolutely passionate about good doctrine. Jesus was a rabbi who taught people through doctrinal claims, sometimes directly, sometimes in parables, often through his actions. He taught them about God and the kingdom. He made moral truth claims, and the Holy Spirit himself helps us recognize good doctrine, understand good doctrine, and live in light of good doctrine. So this is a very spirit-filled process, and we shouldn't kind of try to separate them. We need sound doctrine, and it's not enough to say we believe in Jesus. We need to know what we believe about Jesus and why we believe it. Our faith does not and cannot rest on subjective experiences or feelings. It must rest on the living God and the truth he's revealed about himself in both his word and in his son, Jesus. So the creed, sum that up, offers us a, a helpful summary of good doctrine. And we need that. We need to know what it is that we believe. So here's, here's quickly, here's three reasons I'm convinced that we need the creed today. We here as an apostle's family and we as the church uh, in, in America today. I think we need the creed for three reasons. The first reason, I would say, is for completeness. What I mean by that, the creed can help shape us as complete, well-rounded Christians. Uh, one thing that can happen is that our beliefs can kind of get out of balance in our lives. Uh, we all have preferences. We all have tendencies. We all have passions. We all have experiences. We have different people that have influenced and shaped our faith. And if we're not very intentional, what can happen is we can... We can, not intentionally, but along the way, can become kind of doctrinally out of balance, which can ultimately kind of distort our faith. So here's a helpful way to think about this. If you've ever been to the zoo, Houston Zoo, you have on that patio, sometimes there's artists out there with those little stands, and they'll draw a picture of you, but it's not a straight-up picture. It's a caricature of you. Don't know what I'm talking about? Like a caricature? So with a caricature, when you get a picture of you, it's not exactly you. It's you with like a giant funny head on a little tiny body, right? Uh, or you might have like super giant biceps, you know, but little tiny legs, you know, like it's, it's this kind of out of proportion picture of who you are. Um, and so the same thing can happen we can kind of become a caricature in some ways if we're not careful when it comes to our faith, our beliefs. Uh, that can happen as we grow as Christians. Um, you might be really clear, for example, on one core teaching of the faith, but less so about something else. Uh, or you may be really passionate, right, about one particular belief, but that may come at the cost of other really important beliefs. So, for example, it's really common today for American Christians to have a very, very strong conviction when it comes to Jesus as their Savior, right, their personal Savior, but a much less deep conviction or lack of conviction altogether when it comes to God's church and being a part of the corporate body of Christ. And so you can see how that, that becomes unbalanced, so being mature disciples of Jesus means having a well-rounded faith and a creed that can help shape us in this way, bring balance and completeness. So that's one reason I think we need the creed. Second reason I think we need the creed is for clarity. Uh, for clarity. We need the creed to give us clarity about what we believe. We live in a very confusing and a very confused age. We uh, often are not sure what we believe or how it actually helps us relate to 
the world around us. A.W. Tozer famously once said, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And so today, I think too many of us aren't really sure exactly what we believe about God. And now that we can pigeonhole God or like pin God down, but God's revealed a lot about who he is. We can know a lot about God. Um, and so we can get clarity. But a lot of us don't get clarity, so we kind of get stuck. Uh, maybe, maybe you felt had this experience I have where I, I felt stuck, and so I throw my hands up in the face of some really complex kind of theological challenge or, or moral issue in our culture. I kind of feel stuck. Or I, I, maybe you, you've compromised on an essential belief because you're just not sure really and have a real clarity about what you believe when it comes to that particular thing. And the creed invites us to be more clear about who Jesus is and what he taught. It's just interesting. Jesus was surprisingly clear about a lot of things. Really clear about a lot of things. Sometimes we, we want to act like so, God's so mysterious. God's laid out a lot of truth for us. It's not as mysterious as we might want to think. The problem, I think, is that we live in an age that objects to objective truth. That's part of the challenge we face. Today, there are many truths. There are many truths, not just the truth. My feelings and desires ultimately are the arbiter of my truth. Have you heard that? My truth. Your truth and my truth. So we live in that world. Charles Taylor, um, who's a well-regarded philosopher, has pointed out that the, what's happened for us as followers of Jesus is the plausibility structures that once made Christianity kind of easier or the default view of the world around us, even if they didn't believe in, in Christ, there was a default mode of, of Christian worldview. Now that is eroded and everything we believe, even the most essential basic things we believe about our life and God and the world are constantly contested, is what he says. And so what happens is it leaves us spiritually anxious and often feeling uncertain. Our foundational beliefs, not just some of the things, but our foundational beliefs are challenged almost daily in our everyday life. And so we, we feel this anxiety. And I think today the creed can help us when it comes to this anxiety. The creed doesn't replace the Bible, but it can offer us more clarity about what we as Christians believe and have always believed. The creed can help us navigate an increasingly complex world that constantly contests our faith. Think about the creed as like, it's almost like gospel concentrate, right, for your life. It, it, it will help you. You can memorize the creed, and I would encourage you to do that. Memorize the creed and, and use it almost as a lens through which you can think about the world around you in everyday life. And the creeds don't just give us the right thing. They help us grow in our relationship with God, live faithfully in light of what Jesus has done, and walk in the power of the Spirit because it affirms all those things and it puts them all together so we understand how all that works together. So we need more clarity about what we believe as Christians today. I think the creed can help us. Third thing I think the creed, why I think the creed is helpful today, is for connection. The creed helps us connect as a community, as the church. Um, it was really interesting when we moved here. My kids started going to school here in, in the neighborhood, and they came home, and they were like, we did the Pledge of Allegiance. I was like, great, we did that too. And then we, we did the Pledge of Allegiance to Texas. And I was like, what? There's a Pledge of Allegiance to Texas too? I was like, I grew up in North Carolina. We didn't have a Pledge of Allegiance to North Carolina, but you got one here in Texas. And there's something about that that it helps bond you as a people, Right? You, you pledge yourself. You make this commitment, and you say it 
together, right? And so there's something similar about the creed. When we say the creed, we're joining with followers of Jesus around the world and down through history. And not just Anglicans, not just people who look like us or live like we do, but people from all over the world across denominations, ethnicities, social class, nations, you name it. The creed points us to the true unity we possess in the person of Jesus and in the truth that's been revealed by Christ. So we can say, this is what we believe. We can say that together, and it helps define and unify the church. A little Al Mohler said, who's another Baptist pastor, he said this, he said, all Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed, but none can believe less. And that's a really helpful way to think about it, right? All Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed. It doesn't tell us everything, but none can believe less. And, and I would follow that quickly by saying the creed is not just trying to find the lowest common denominator for followers of Jesus. What it is is it's saying we are affirming the heart of the Christian faith and declaring to the world that in Christ we are a part of, of this beautiful, ancient, diverse, spirit-filled, global family, the people of God, the church. That's what we're saying when we say the creed. So why do we need the creed? Completeness, clarity, and connection. And so what I, I would say as we go through the creed this summer, it might be helpful for you just to keep those in mind. We're after a completeness, a wholeness, a clarity in our beliefs, and a connection with the global and historical church. What the creed says is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, I would also just want to end with this. I would say it might be helpful to think of the creed as an invitation. And I think this might be especially helpful if you've got a lot of history with the creed and maybe the creed feels a little stale to you. Um, See it as an invitation to deeper faith in the living God and not just reciting spiritual facts. Um, and, And... I thought of a story about Jesus in Mark chapter 5 that I think kind of illustrates this and helps point us to this idea of the Apostles' Creed is an invitation to faith in the living God. So in Mark chapter 5, um, there's a story of a man named Jairus. And Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you please heal my 12-year-old little girl? Please. He, he, he begs Jesus is what it says. He begs Jesus. And so Jesus is going with Jairus to his house, and he gets interrupted and delayed because there's another miracle, this beautiful miracle for this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, interestingly. And so, but in the midst of that, some people come from Jairus' house, and they say, we're so sorry, your daughter has died. And so there's no need for Jesus to come anymore. Don't bother the teacher. And then this is what Jesus says, Mark 5, 36. It says, but overhearing what they said... Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe, right? Don't be afraid, just believe. In that moment, Jesus extends an invitation of faith to Jairus, an invitation for Jairus to acknowledge that he is utterly powerless. There is no human power that can help him. There was nothing he could do to save his daughter. And an invitation to fully trust in the God who could, the God who heals, and the God who saves. 
So Jesus calls him, in other words, away from fear and into faith. Away from fear and into faith. Just believe is what Jesus says. And that is not a callous kind of cliche thing that he says. Nor is it a call to just blind faith. Just believe. It's an invitation to faith in the God who is with you and who loves you and who can save you. It's an invitation to a faith that you can stand on even in the face of death, is what he's saying to Jairus. Just believe. Just believe. And what I want to say is the creed is offering the same invitation. We begin the creed by saying, I believe. It's an invitation to believe, to put our faith in the God who is with us and the God who loves us and the God who can heal and save us. That's what we're doing when we say the creed. Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise. You will be made whole. You will be saved. This is what we believe. This is what we confess. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to to stand. You guys just stand. And together what we're going to do is we're going to declare with our mouth and believe in our heart these truths of the Apostles' Creed together. We're going to say it each week as we work our way through these 12 weeks. And I just want to say off the bat, if, if where you are in your spiritual journey, if you don't feel like you can say this because it's not where you are, that's okay. Just don't say it. Uh, there's a freedom here to say it. We want to say this because we believe it. That's okay. We're so glad you're here, but doing it. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so total freedom not to say this, but together what we want to do is say this. And my hope is that by the end of the summer, maybe by God's Holy Spirit, all of us can say it and believe it. That's the prayer. That's the hope, okay? So let's say these words, maybe like you've never said them before. Let's say them together as God's people. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.